Good morning and welcome to First Church, New Knoxville. We welcome all those here in the sanctuary today, as long as those listening on T102 and visiting us live on Facebook. Glad you came and are here this morning to worship with us. Let us start our worship by standing for the call to worship, which this morning comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 33, verses 17 through 20, and chapter 34, verses 5 through 7. And the Lord said to Moses, I would do the very thing you have asked, but I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in faith, in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. We will continue to stand and sing Waymaker and Leaning.
repetition, to say something over and over and over again until we actually believe it? Is he your way maker? Is he your miracle worker? Is he your promise keeper? Is he the light in your darkness? Let's go back and just sing that chorus one more time. Let's focus on who he is. Ready and... shoulder that we could just lean on. The creator of the universe, the creator of us. A shoulder to cry on, a shoulder to love on. Let's lean into him.
Father God, we thank you for the truth that we just sang in those songs, Lord, that you are the way maker, that you are faithful, that you are the promise keeper, Lord, and that your arms are big enough for all of us to lean on, Lord, that you, we are yours and you are ours. God, we thank you so much for that truth, Lord, that truth that gets us through the good times and the bad times, Lord, that we know that no matter what, that you will always be faithful, Lord. You are always faithful to your people. God, I pray that you would remind us of that this morning as we talk about the Israelites and their disobedience, Lord. It just reminds us even more of your faithfulness. God, we do repent of the ways that we have been unfaithful and disobedient to you, Lord, and actions and our words and the things that we've done, Lord, that are not of you. Father, we pray that you would forgive us. Forgive us of our unfaithfulness, of the times that we have turned our backs on you. We thank you, Lord, for that forgiveness and for your faithfulness again. God, we lift up those on the cares and concerns list this morning. We ask that you would give a comfort and a peace that only you can give, Lord. You know every situation and every heart on that prayer, on that list, and we ask that you would just be with them. Lord, we also pray for our offering this morning for Vacation Bible School. Lord, it's one of the best times of the year because we get to spend an entire week telling kids and teaching kids about you and your love. So, Father, we ask that you would be in every single detail that's being planned right now, Lord. We ask that you would raise up men and women to be teachers and helpers and leaders this year uh, because we need them, Lord, and we know that you work through them so well. And more importantly, Lord, we pray for the kids. We pray that for all those kids that are going to come to VBS this year, uh, Lord, we ask that you would just start preparing their hearts now to hear your truth, to experience your love, and to know you as Lord and Savior, Lord. And so we just give you Vacation Bible School. We give you this offering this morning and ask that you would work in and through that, Lord. And Father, we pray all of these things in the name of your Son, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, and deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. You guys may be seated, and I invite the kids up for children's chat with Miss Maria. Hey guys, let's come this way. How are we doing today? Good. Good. We're going to... Just wait for a second, because usually we have some kids coming down from up in the balcony. Come on over. There we go. There they are. All right. So, this week started a new season in the church. What was that? What happened? What is it? Lent. What's Lent? When you give up or do something, okay? When does Lent happen? The forty days before Easter. The forty days before Easter. All right, it's the forty days before Easter. Now, did you know that Lent got its name from the word Lente, L-E-N-T-E, which means springtime? Well, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Because what are we going into? We're going into springtime, yes. So, and Lent and Easter always happen during the springtime. All right, so let's think about springtime, okay? There are a lot of things that people do in the springtime. Kind of gets us all rejuvenated and ready to go because the flowers are starting to pop out of the ground and the sun is shining more. And the school is almost over, yes. (laughs) But in the springtime, you know, my favorite thing to do? To open up the windows. 
Get some fresh air in. Get all that stale, nasty winter air out of the house and open up so that I can get fresh air in my house. And one thing to do during Lent is to open up your Bible. Okay, we could open up our Bible and read them. Read them before we go to bed at night. Okay, because God speaks to us whenever we open up the Bible and listen to what is being read or reading it ourselves. How many of you have ever heard of spring? It's not my favorite thing to do either, but you know, spring cleaning happens typically in the spring, and it's when we clear stuff out. Okay, we go through the closets, we get rid of stuff that we didn't wear, we put our winter stuff away and get out our spring stuff. Okay, we need to clear things out. Okay, and in Lent, it's a good idea to clear things out in our lives that we really don't need. Things that might get in the way from spending time with Jesus. So maybe we want to put aside our or whatever latest Nintendo Switch or whatever it is game that you have or put down your Kindle or whatever and just spend a little bit more time praying, okay? We also need to sweep up. I don't know, the garage gets pretty messy in the winter. All that extra stuff comes in and we need to sweep up. We need to clean up all the extra dirt <laughs> that gets comes in during the winter okay and sometimes we need to do that too we make mistakes and we need to clean up maybe we need to apologize to somebody for something we did wrong or something that we said that wasn't very nice okay now this is my favorite part of springtime planting i love to plant what do we plant Flowers, what? Carrots. Well, apples are already, they're starting to bud on the trees. Yeah. Emma, fruit. We could plant more trees. You're right. Okay. So we plant things so that we have them to eat or to enjoy. Okay. But Lent also can tell us that we can plant different kinds of seeds. We can plant the seed, the seed of love in other people's hearts when we, when we help them, when we compliment them and tell them they do a good job about something. Okay, so for Lent, we think of things that we can say and do that will become something beautiful for someone else. So as we think about Lent, and we get started because we're just at the beginning. We're only what? Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. How many days in? Five. Okay. So we're only about five days into Lent. We got a, a while to go. So think about things that you can plant. Nice words. Using your manners. Think about things that you can sweep out of your life that aren't so good. Okay. And open up. Open up your Bible. Open up and have somebody read to you or put on Christian music and sing along and have a dance party. Okay? That would be a great thing to do this afternoon. Just have a dance party. It's going to be pretty nice out, kind of springtime-like. You can turn on some music and have a dance party. What do you think? Think we could do that? Yeah? You let me know next week if you had a dance party today, okay? Okay. All right. Let's say a quick prayer. Dear Jesus, we love you. Help us to open our Bibles, clear out our clutter, sweep up our messes, and plant seeds of love. Be with us this week. Keep us happy, healthy, and safe. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Maria. Thanks, kids. You guys can head back to your seats. And as they do that and the choir comes forward, I just want to remind you that our offering this morning is to support Vacation Bible School. You heard Tori mentioning that during her prayer this morning. Um, spring is coming quickly, and soon after that, Vacation Bible School will be here. So we're very excited for that. 
There is information in your bulletin about the theme for this year, and I uh, just want to encourage you to check that out. And, and I just want to reiterate that if you're able to help in any way, we'd love to see you um, uh, let us know, and we'd, we'll find a way for you to, to get connected and help this year at VBS. Also, uh, Maria mentioned that Lent began this past week. We had our Ash Wednesday service uh, on Wednesday night. Um, but that also means that the devotions that we have provided um, are, are, are still available. Um, if you have not picked one up and would like to get one, there are copies still available at the entrances. Just a reminder, um, you feel free to take extra copies and give them away. We want to make them available for people to take and use them as a resource to reach out to families, friends, neighbors, coworkers, whoever might be interested in, in hearing more about Jesus this time of year. So at this time, I want to invite the deacons to come forward to collect our offering, and, and thankful for the choir to be here with us this morning.
may be seated. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Numbers, chapter 14, verses 13 through 25. Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear about it. By your power you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land about it. They have already heard that you, Lord, are these are with these people, and that you, Lord, have been seen face to face, that your cloud stays over them, and that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. If you put all these people to death, leaving none alive, the nations who have heard this report will say, The Lord was not able to bring these people into the land he promised them on oath, so he slaughtered them in the wilderness. Now may the Lord's strength and dis- be displayed, just as you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sins of these people, just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. Since the Amalekites and the Canaanites are living in the valleys, turn back tomorrow and set out toward the desert along the road to the Red Sea. Thank you, Maria. Let's pray together again. Father God, we thank you for your word, which is a lamp for our feet and a light unto our path. We thank you for the opportunity to sing your praises this morning and now to hear from your word and study it. I pray that you would open the hearts of all those who are, uh, soften the hearts of all those that are listening, both here in the sanctuary as well as online and on the radio. And I also pray, Lord, that you give me words to speak, words that are honoring and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. When I was a kid, I remember riding in the car with my parents, and, and uh, there was a news segment or I guess, that would always come on, uh, led by Paul Harvey. Do you guys know, remember Paul Harvey? One of his famous segments that he would do was called The Rest of the Story, right? He would tell the story of some maybe lesser-known event or, or, or situation, and he would tell that story and, and at the end, he would make a connection to a more well-known figure. And he would wrap up the story by saying, and now you know the rest of the story. Right? A very, very popular radio segment that was syndicated all over the country. Today, we're going to look at one of the lesser-known stories from the Old Testament. And anyone with a, at least kind of a background in Sunday school remembers kind of the sequence of events that took place from the exodus of Egypt till the time God's people entered the promised land. You can recall, of course, the the rescue through the Red Sea, the the time at Mount Sinai when the Lord passed the Ten Commandments on to Moses, or gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, and then he passed them on to his people. And then, of course, you have the 40 years wandering in the wilderness before finally entering the promised land in the book of Joshua. And that's the gist of it, right? That's, that's pretty much the story as we remember it or as we think about it in Sunday school. But Numbers chapter 13 and 14 fills us in on why Israel spent those 40 years in the wilderness. They didn't get lost. It wasn't that long of a trip, really. They spent four deca- decades in the wilderness because of what happened in these two chapters. Now, I'm going to be drawing my sermon today from Numbers 13 and 14, but I didn't think it would be fair to Maria or really to any of us, you know, to have that, all of that read at once. So if you have your Bibles with you or have access to a Bible, I encourage you to open to Numbers 13 and 14 because we're going to be drawing from both of those chapters there. 
uh, especially with a list of names. I didn't want to put Maria on the spot with all of those. So what you heard was just kind of a snippet from that overall story. And I'm going to quickly kind of recap the events that take place in these two chapters. And then we're going to discuss what we learn about Israel's disobedience in the desert. And then, as Paul Harvey would say, you will know the rest of the story. So today I want to quickly recap what happens from Mount Sinai to the southern border of Israel as it's described in these chapters. So Moses and and the people of Israel had been camping at Mount Sinai for over a year. Moses had gone up on the mountain. You remember he brings the stone tablets down. And then from that point forward, there's this constant communication with the Lord about the, the extent of the law and then the building of the tabernacle and all that went into it. And so for about a year, they camped at the base of Mount Sinai. And at the beginning of Numbers 13, uh, in Numbers, God tells them to pack up and start moving, right? Following the pillar of cloud in the direction that God would have them go. And this is the moment. And so God brings them to the very edge of the promised land. See, this is the moment that the narrative of Scripture has been building towards since Genesis 12 and the promise that God had made to Abraham. If you go all the way back to Genesis 12, God calls Abraham out of the land of Ur and says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to give you a place to live. And and all the nations of the world are going to be blessed through you. And so part of that promise has been fulfilled already. From Abraham's family came this great nation of Israel that after 400 years of living in Egypt was now a nation of several hundred thousand people. And so that part of the promise had been fulfilled, but the promise of a place was still to come. And that's why we call that the promised land. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had lived there, but only temporarily. Now God was ready to bring his people back and give them this land as their new home. And so God instructs them to leave Mount Sinai, to travel through the desert of Param, and to Kadesh Barnea at the southern edge of Canaan. And it's there that the Lord instructs Moses to select one leader from each tribe listed at the beginning of chapter 13. They will serve as scouts or spies to go into the land and check it out. And Moses tells them to go and bring back a report. He gave them two goals. First, check out the land. God had told them that it was a good land. It was flowing with milk and honey. And so he tells them to go to see if the land is as good as God had promised. And second, he instructs them to know so that they may know what they're up against. The PAs, the scouts, go out and they explore the land, and they find that the land is great. They find um, fruit and, and retrieve produce of the land, grape clusters, pomegranates, and figs. They travel from the southernmost edge to the northernmost edge of Canaan. The fruit of the land was plentiful and good. And so after 40 days, when they return, they tell Moses that the land is good, but that the people are powerful. And so they claim that they cannot go up into Canaan and fight against them, that they're going to lose, that these people are bigger, that they are stronger. In fact, they said they look like giants and we were like grasshoppers compared to them. But notice what's missing from this report, if if you're following along in Numbers 13 with me. Notice what's missing from this report. There's no mention of God and His promise in this. There's no mention of the Lord and what he had promised to do for them. They simply looked at the situation and became afraid. And so the scouts began to spread a bad report around Israel. Only Caleb and Joshua were willing to give a good report. And so the people rebel. They don't want to go into Canaan like God had instructed them to do. They believe that the Lord was in fact leading them to their death. And so they wanted to elect a new leader and go back to Egypt. You've got to imagine what, what that, imagine what that means, right? They wanted to go back to slavery in Egypt rather than obey the Lord and what he was calling them, to, calling them to do. In fact, that desire to return to Egypt was a constant refrain from Israel throughout this time in the wilderness. They always had a desire to go back even though they were slaves to Pharaoh and their life there was brutal. And we think how foolish of them, how silly of them to have this desire to want to go back. But yet, if we think about ourselves and our own lives, that's what we do all the time with sin, isn't it? 
Sin is destructive. It ruins our relationship with God and others and has a negative impact on our lives. And yet over and over and over again, we constantly go back to our sin and the empty promises that it makes. So Moses, Aaron, Caleb, and Joshua, the four of them beg Israel to reconsider. They say the land is good and that the Lord will defeat their enemies. In other words, they're calling Israel to trust the Lord because he will fight for them. That's what he'd been, after all, that's what he'd been doing since the moment they left Egypt, right? The whole encounter at the Red Sea that we talked about earlier, right? There, that, that, that is a perfect example of God providing for them and, and fighting on their behalf. They had experienced God's provision over and over again. Yet here, once again, they failed to listen. They refused to go up. And in in fact, they want to stone Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb. They want to pick new leaders and head back. And so the Lord is rightly angry with them. He he states that he has a desire to destroy Israel and start over with Moses. But here Moses intercedes for Israel and pleads for the Lord to forgive them. And that's the section you heard read for you already today. The Lord forgives Israel, but they still have to face the consequences of their decision not to obey the Lord. And so God tells them that no one from this generation will enter the promised land, with the exception of Caleb and Joshua, because they trusted the Lord and gave a good report. He says they must turn back and travel through the wilderness. One year for every day the scouts were in the land. The 40-day scouting mission turned into a 40-year exile in the wilderness. And that entire generation, everyone who was 20 years and older coming out of Egypt, would die there, and only their children would inherit the land. But the interesting thing is that that's not the end of the story either. At the end of chapter 14, the people hear about the Lord's punishment. He hear, they hear about what the Lord says will happen to them, and now they decide to go up, right? Now they decide to go into the promised land and try to do what God wanted them to do in the first place. But Moses warns them not to do it. He says, you're still being disobedient. The Lord told you to turn around because you didn't trust him the first time. And he says, the Lord is not going to go with you and you will be defeated. But you know what they do? They go anyways. They go up into the land. They're defeated just as they feared they were going to be in the first place. So that's what we see in Numbers 13 and 14. And that's why Israel had to spend so many years in the wilderness. They missed their chance to go into the promised land because of their disobedience to the Lord. And so here's what we learn from the story. This is what we take away. The nature, we we learn about the, the nature of genuine obedience and what happens when people disobey the Lord. But before we get to those main points, I do want to briefly draw this story and draw this idea into our understanding of Jesus in the New Testament. When we focus on the Old Testament, sometimes we can get lost in a sense of kind of a legalistic or moralistic perspective. When we talk about obedience and disobedience, we feel like um, we, we can sometimes fall into that trap. When we talk about faithful obedience, we're, talking, we're not talking about moralism or legalism. Faithful obedience is the proper response to God's grace, whereas moralism or legalism is an attempt to earn God's grace or earn God's love through our obedience. And this is what Paul is getting at in, in Romans 6, 1 through 4. I'm going to read for you Romans 6, 1 through 4. He says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? We are therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have new life. In other words, what Paul is saying is that God's grace empowers us to avoid sin. In other words, it empowers us to avoid disobedience. And Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, reminds us that God's grace also empowers us to do good works, to be obedient. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Right? God created us 
but he created us with a purpose, to, to love him, to serve him, to obey him. And so we are called not only to avoid sin and disobedience, but we're called into active obedience because of what Christ has done for us. And so as we talk about learning from Israel's disobedience and what it means to, to truly and authentically obey the Lord, we must not fall into the sense of legalism or moralism that, that God will only love me if I obey him 100% of the time. That's legalism, right? That's not what Christianity teaches. But Christianity does say that if we love God and if we have experienced his love for us in Christ, then he will call us to obedience in response to that grace. So let's keep those things in mind as we talk about what we can learn from Israel's disobedience in the desert. We're going to talk about disobedience. We're going to talk about what genuine, authentic obedience looks like and what that means for us. So let's begin with looking, reflecting on Israel's disobedience in the desert. There's two dimensions of disobedience that are on display here in this passage. First of all, disobedience is not doing what God commands. Now that seems kind of obvious, right? Disobedience is not doing what God commands us to do. And that's exactly what happened in the first part of the story. God told Israel to go up into the land, right, and to take that. God was giving it over to them, but they refused to go. They gave in to their fear. So the first part of disobedience is not doing, is that disobedience is also doing what God forbids. So after all of those events, right, after God, after they refused to do what God told them to do, and after God delves out the pun or, um, uh, tells them what the punishment is going to be, then they go ahead and they try to do what God had forbid them to do. They, they tried to go into the land after God told them not to. So disobedience is both not doing what God wants us to do, but also doing what he forbids. And if you think about it, disobedience is really born out of a lack of trust in God. Later on in Deuteronomy chapter 1, Moses, on the edge of the promised land after 40 years in the wilderness, reflects on this story and recounts the events that take place in Numbers 13 and 14. And so in Deuteronomy 1, Moses reveals that the scouts were Israel's idea. The Lord told them to go into Canaan, but they wanted to check it out first. They did not take God at his word or trust that he would be able to provide for them. They needed to see it for themselves first. And when they did go into the land, their fear overruled their faith when they saw what they were up against. Their problems seemed like giants that they could not overcome God was not part of the equation when they were thinking of what needed to take place. So disobedience, right, is, is a lack of faith and trust in God. It's, it's choosing to do things your own way because you don't think God is going to hold up his end of the bargain. Have you ever thought about it that way? It's, it's not trusting that God is able to do what he says he's going to do. So therefore, we, you, need to, you need to take matters into your own hands. Disobedience also has long-term consequences. Israel suffered because they disobeyed God. They were forgiven, right? God makes that very clear that they were forgiven because of Moses' intercession and his plea, but they still experienced the consequences of their decision. That passage in Deuteronomy 1 also says that the trip from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea, where they were supposed to go into the promised land, was only an 11-day journey. Now, with a group as large as they were traveling with, it probably took more than 11 days. I think some of the estimates based on the, the details of Scripture put it more like 11 months by the time they got everybody moving in the right direction. But imagine that. A trip that could have only taken 11 days, or perhaps 11 months for all of them, turned into a 40 year delay all because of their disobedience if they had trusted the lord and done what he said they would have been in the promised land that much quicker but instead they wandered the wilderness for 40 years none of the adults who left egypt entered into that promised land see when we disobey god god allows us to experience the results of our decisions 
He gives them a clear path forward. He gave them a clear path forward, but they rejected it. And now they had to deal with the results. The psalmist in Psalm 81, verses 11 through 12, reflects on this. And he says, this is the Lord speaking through the psalmist. He says, my people would not listen to me. Israel will not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own devices. When we sin, when we disobey God and reject his will for our lives, he allows us to experience the results of our decisions. When we reject God, he gives us, he gives us over to our stubborn hearts. And we still experience the reality of that today. We may be forgiven, but we still have to deal with the consequences of our actions. A person who's discovered to be a habitual liar may be forgiven by their friends, but they have lost their trust. So disobedience in the desert was really born out of that lack of trust in God and and had long-term consequences that Israel experienced. But this story isn't just about Israel's disobedience. It's also an example of what true, authentic obedience looks like. And we see that in Caleb and Joshua. You see, active obedience is active trust in God, even when it seems impossible. Caleb and Joshua were two of the 12 spies that were sent in to the promised land, and they saw the same thing that everybody else saw, right? They saw the people, they saw the fortified cities, yet when they came back, they gave a good report, and they encouraged the people to go into the promised land, just as God had said, You see, I believe the difference between Caleb and Joshua and those other spies is they trusted that God would provide, that he would deliver them, even against the difficult odds they were up against. You see a similar sort of trust and faith in the story of David and Goliath. Again, a very familiar Sunday school story, right? David, this small shepherd boy up against the champion of the Philistine army who just so happened to be a giant as well. And in 1 Samuel 17, as David is standing before Goliath, in 1 Samuel 17, verses 45 through 47, David tells Goliath this, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. See, that's the kind of trust that the Lord desires out of us. That's the kind of obedience that recognizes that it's not in our own strength and our own power, but it's in trusting that God will provide for us. Faithful obedience is also obeying God when no one else is willing to do so. And again, we look at Caleb and Joshua. They were a minority in this group. It would have been easy for them or or simpler for them to just go along with the flow or to remain silent, right? Ten out of the twelve spies were ready to give a bad report and spread it around Israel, yet they stood for what they believed in. They chose to trust God even when everybody else was going in a different direction. And, and at a potential cost to themselves, right? We, we read in the story that, that the people of Israel were ready to kill them, ready to stone them because they stuck up for what was right. Again, another example from Scripture of of that sort of faithful obedience is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3. In the time of the exile, as God's people were living in, in Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar uh, created this giant golden idol, this image of himself, and it, he demanded that every person bow down and worship it. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused. Even though everybody else is doing it, even though it would have been easier and simpler for them to just go with the flow, they stood while everybody else knelt down. And in Daniel 3, verse 16 through 18, they tell the king this, We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. 
But even if he doesn't, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. You see, obedience means doing the right thing even when nobody else is doing it. Choosing to stand up for God when every, even if it means going against the grain. And the last thing we learn about obedience in this passage is that it is out of love for God, not avoidance of punishment. Again, the, the people finally decided to go up into the land once they realized they were going to be punished for their disobedience. I don't think they wanted to go up into Canaan at the end of chapter 14 because they loved the Lord. They went up in there because they didn't want to deal with the punishment that they had deserved. They wanted to avoid 40 years in the wilderness. So their motivation was simply to avoid the punishment of their sin. But genuine obedience is motivated by love for God. And Jesus spells it out clearly for us in John 14, 15. He says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments, right? Obedience, again, is a response to God's love and grace. And it's out of our love for him that we respond. So we've learned about disobedience and obedience here. But the last thing I want to share with you is about our, our need for an intercessor. Because the other thing that this, this passage teaches us is that, even, that we are all disobedient, right? We're all like Israel, going to grumble and fall short and, and be disobedient at times. And so we need someone to intercede for us before the Lord, like Moses did for them. Moses' leadership was on display because he was unwilling to abandon the people, even when they were ready to abandon him. They were ready to kick him to the curb and go back to Egypt. But Moses pleaded with the Lord for his forgiveness. And Moses represented Israel before God. He appealed to the Lord's reputation and character. We read about, uh, we, we've heard it read twice today, but that quote from Exodus 34, 6 through 7, about God being loving, abounding in love and faithfulness and forgiving. And so the Lord does do that. He forgives Israel. In our disobedience, we need an intercessor as well. And Jesus is that intercessor we need. And we see the parallels in, in, in Moses. He's a type that helps us understand what Jesus has done for us. You see, like Moses, Jesus was unwilling to abandon us because he does not treat us as our sins deserve. Psalm 103 is a great reference to that, that we are not treated as our sins deserve. Rather, we are showered with love and faithful kindness. Our sinful rebellion deserves punishment. We deserve death, but God gives us life instead. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Second, we know that Jesus represents us before the Father. Romans 8, 31 through 39 reminds us that Jesus is alive today. He is seated at the right hand of God and he is ever interceding for us. He's pleading our case. The enemy accuses us. Satan is referred to as the accuser of the brethren in Scripture. He's always trying to heap guilt and condemnation on us. But Jesus is pleading for us. Jesus represents us and says it is, he is our advocate. He's our representative and he declares us innocent. Romans 8 reminds us if God is for us, who can be against us? And the implied answer is no one. Nothing can separate us from God's love in Jesus Christ. And finally, we need to close on this point, but we need to remember that Jesus bears the punishment for our sin. I spoke earlier about how disobedience has long-term consequences, right? Even, in, even though they were forgiven, they still had experienced the consequences of their sin. But here's where it gets good. Israel was forgiven, but they still experienced the consequences of their sin. They all died in the wilderness. They never entered the promised land. But that's not the case for us. There is no wilderness for those who trust in Christ. There is no exile. There is no punishment because the consequences of our sin have been paid for by Christ himself. He went out into the wilderness so that we could go into the promised land. He bore our sins so that we could receive his righteousness. He died so that we may live. And so even though we're disobedient, we enter the promised land through the perfect obedience of Christ. 
Scripture says that the life of the believer is hidden in Christ. You could read that in Colossians 3.3. The believer is united with him in faith. So when you put your trust in Christ, you are hidden in him, united with him in his death and in his resurrection. And why is that important? Well, it's, it's everything for us as believers. When the Father looks at a born-again believer, he doesn't see their disobedience. He doesn't see their, their mistakes or their sin. He sees the perfect obedience of his son. The righteousness that Christ achieved through his obedient life is now applied to the believer. And so therefore the believer is no longer destined to die in the wilderness. They may enter the promised land through Christ. He is the way and there is no other. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of both disobedience and obedience we read about in this passage. We're sorry, Lord, because we are disobedient at times. We have all fallen short of your glory and and left to our own devices, Lord. We would constantly go astray. But we thank you that Jesus is our intercessor. He is the one who stepped in and through his perfect obedience earned us a righteousness that we could never earn for ourselves. I pray that everyone here today would, would know and experience that forgiveness for themselves. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We need the Lord, don't we? Let's stand and let's sing our closing song, Lord, I need you. want to say if anybody anybody here feels like they've been wandering in the wilderness for some time if anybody feels the need to 
Give that over to the Lord. Receive his righteousness and his grace to experience that. The invitation is there. It's always there. But today I just encourage you to to respond in faith. Experience that forgiveness that comes through Christ. He is the way into the promised land. He is in the way he is the way into God's kingdom and his righteousness and his peace. So I encourage you to do that today. If anybody would like to talk or to pray, I'll be kind of hanging out here in the in the sanctuary for a bit after the service, but anybody is welcome to come and talk with me about what that's like. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. You may go in peace.